around surgery is the number one gateway to persistent opioid use. And uh, it turns out there, there's something like 3.3 billion leftover pills from surgery each year in the United States. So surgery and opioid use, it's not only a, a problem for the patient, it's a problem for the wider family and community around those patients because of the opioids that are being dispensed. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we talk to the entrepreneurs shaping the future of health and discuss the health moonshots they're working to achieve. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. A few years back, a group of surgeons got together and came up with something called Advanced Recovery After Surgery, or ERAS for short. It's an evidence-based set of protocols and procedures that kind of revolutionized the surgery experience for patients. Think minimally invasive techniques versus big incisions, just to name one example. When surgeons use this system, the patient's length of stay in the hospital after surgery is cut by as much as 50%, and just about every other recovery metric is just as positive. A review in JAMA, the journal of the AMA, called the system a paradigm shift for surgery. The problem is there's a lot of variation in surgery practices, and not everyone is benefiting from this advancement. Brand Newland, the CEO and co-founder of Goldfinch Health and my guest on the show today, is on a mission to change all that. With Goldfinch, Brand is making sure that employers are able to guide their people towards the best surgery options available. It's really a win for everyone. Patients recover faster, their employers pay less in sick leave or temporary workers, insurance companies pay for fewer complications and bounce backs. And finally, and perhaps most importantly at this moment in history, Faster recovery means less reliance on opioids. In fact, Brand Newland sees his work at Goldfinch as a critical upstream component to fighting the opioid crisis as a whole. We'll cover all of that and more on the show. I hope you enjoy. All right, Brand Newland, thank you for taking the time on this show today. Um, you're the CEO and co-founder of Goldfinch Health. We've had the chance to talk before, but I'm excited to get a, a 2020 update of what you're working on and what you're excited about. So, Brand, thank you for joining me. Yeah, glad to be here with you, Logan. Um, I've always been interested in the way that you're looking at um, the opioid epidemic, the way that you're going upstream to think about it in a sort of new and a holistic way. So um, start by just giving me uh, the, the flyover, unpack what Goldfinch Health is, what you're building. Yeah, we, my, my co-founder, John Greenwood, and I, um, two plus, two and a half plus years ago, we, um, we saw an opportunity to help uh, a lot more people have a much better experience in surgery. Uh, it turns out that there's, there's a small group of surgeons out there today who are practicing at a very high level to great benefit of patients and by extension their employers and the health insurers, those who are, and other insurers who are paying the bills for, for these types of events. And there's a formula to the way that they're practicing. And that formula is called Enhanced Recovery After Surgery, or ERAS, as it's known in the medical field. Uh, it's been shown, it's a patient-centric, clinically validated approach, opioid sparing uh, in addition. And it's been shown to greatly benefit patients, 30% shorter hospital stays and 50% fewer complications and up to 90% less opioid use and exposure. It's just not very widely adopted. You're not likely to find your own. So we got our arms sort of around this opportunity to help people find minimally invasive surgery, um, to put it in a, a very simple term. It, 
minimally invasive is not only the size of the incision, which is how I think you might think of it, but it's also um, how invasive the surgery have to be to your life, to your, to your work, to your paycheck, um, to your medicine cabinet with opioids, to your community. And what we're trying to do is help people find a surgical experience before, during, and after guided by these enhanced surgical pathways that uh, is as minimally invasive as possible, a blip on the radar. So you're addressing this issue that, let's say, if I need to have my first major surgery in my life, I'm kind of starting from zero. I'm, I'm looking at research. I'm taking whatever my doctor tells me as the only answer. And you're starting to guide people through that process? Exactly. We can come in as early as the point where you're talking about, Logan, of just starting to think about what might I need to do if, if I need a surgery. I'm actually personally in that position myself for a a minor surgery, but thinking about how do you do that research beyond Dr. Google, right? And some of the, you know, asking friends and family and, and those who might know something. We can also come in after you've already made a decision. Um, one of the things that I think was important to the way that we've structured our program, that we, we sell to employers and insurers. We didn't want to bring in a program that was uh, bringing a lot of friction to a human resources staff or to the member, to the patient. Um, so we didn't want to say you have to go to Surgeon XYZ, Got we can it. come in and if you want to work with a specific surgeon, you've already selected that surgeon because uh, maybe you've had a previous experience or a family member has with them. You like that person, you know that person, or you got a referral to them from your primary care provider that you trust. We can work with that and just help arm the patient with the right questions to ask. Uh, just to know that these care pathways exist and some of these specific interventions exist around getting ahead of the pain and better preparing for surgery, both physically. And psychologically, it goes a long way. And through our nurse navigator, we can help people that to, to better prepare and feel confident as they go into surgery. Okay, so you, you guide people through these um, uh, minimally invasive surgery options, and you kind of skim through some some big numbers as to what that really means. Obviously, if I'm a patient and I want surgery, I want to get the best experience possible. But I know you've connected this to some really important metrics. So maybe you could break those down uh, slower for me. Yeah, glad to. So there are many benefits in the literature around enhanced recovery after surgery. What we decided to do, we didn't want to make it too complicated um, because there are certain benefits that seem to rise above others, at least as we looked at it. First and foremost, we focus on saved days in recovery. Mm. So we look at the experience of a patient we're supporting through, it could be, um, could be any type of surgery really, but the most common surgeries that we see are orthopedic surgeries, knees and hips and backs and shoulders and those types of surgeries. Um, sometimes women's health, hysterectomies, mastectomies, um, even C-sections uh, we, we support. And then there's kind of a general category also of cancer-related surgeries and hernia repairs and, and those types of surgeries. But we're comparing the experience of a patient that we're supporting with a third-party benchmark that's out there from a group called MD Guidelines. It gives us how long would you expect an individual to be out? And I'll just give you an example. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is we, we helped a woman earlier this year. Um, she needed a hysterectomy. It's the second most common surgery in the United States, about a half million uh, each year. And there are a number of ways that that procedure can be delivered, some more invasive than others. So we helped her to find a minimally invasive option. I talked about a keyhole incision uh, supported by enhanced recovery after surgery protocols and our nurse navigator. 
she brought up to our nurse um, who's following up on a daily basis after surgery, kind of filling that gap that we think is out there, just supporting the patient after surgery. She brought up to our nurse um, on day four post-op, the idea of going back to work. And uh, the average recovery time for a hysterectomy in the U.S. is seven weeks. This wow. patient is back one week post-op. Uh, wow. So in that case, we saved six weeks. Uh, that's that's our scoreboard of six weeks of recovery time saved, which clearly has great benefit to that um, to that patient. She was a school teacher and yeah. saved. Um, she saved time out of work and, and pain and suffering, and, and saved money also by being able to go back on on full pay. Her school. Um, district who she worked for also was a great beneficiary of that. And you start yeah. thinking about the cost of paying for a substitute teacher to replace that uh, primary teacher for six extra weeks actually exceeds the cost of the hysterectomy to begin with. It <laughs> costs about $6,800. And that's our point entirely that we yeah. think that that recovery aspect for too long has been overlooked. I think it might be because there's been an assumption that there's only one way through and the surgeons are, are, are doing their best in all cases, that there is, uh, in many cases, a better way uh, through, uh, guided by these enhanced recovery pathways. I, I think it's so interesting that um, by highlighting these numbers, you have brought the employer in as a piece of this conversation. And I think kind of a new way, kind of showing them that they have a real vested interest in the quality of the care that their employees get. Um, how important are employee partners, employer partners, sort of for the growth of Goldfinch? Yeah, it's critical. Um, it's critical. We think that the way that healthcare changes at scale in the United States is when you have the employers and payers of healthcare understanding and demanding innovation. Um, and that's, that's why we package this program in a way that uh, we think makes sense to employers uh, of, of any size. Uh, that are, especially when they're self-insured and paying the bills, not only to have somebody out of work, but to pay for the healthcare, it makes a lot of sense. On the employer side also, you know, the, a number of the groups that we're working with uh, have a very vested interest in their community. Let's give you one example. Uh, a new program that we're working on is with Seminole County Sheriff's Office in Central Florida, just north of Orlando. They're interested in our to set their sheriff's office employees and the family members up for opioid-free or opioid-sparing surgery. And that's important because they've been, uh, that sheriff's office led by Sheriff Lima has been very progressive in narcotics enforcement and treatment. Uh, and they want to extend that to, uh, to being a model employer in their community that others can look to in that's setting right. up their own employee, employees and their family members for the best experience possible, including experiences that limit opioids. Uh, what, and what we've seen, just to one, one additional point to the save days, we've seen that on average in America, 76% of patients use opioids after surgery. In our program, almost 80% don't, don't use any. Um, so it is a dramatic difference wow. that uh, people can find. And it's nothing really magic. There's a formula and we're just helping people to find it. Yeah, I find that your comment that it's not magic. I think it's fascinating that what you're what you're doing is you're optimizing things that have already existed. You're helping people find the innovations that are already out there, which is itself a, an important sort of sector within health innovation. Sort of maximizing. You're bringing accountability, uh, transparency uh, to the market, and that itself is opening up innovation in new yeah. ways. There was a great word that we just on a call, a great word that was used, and it's literacy. It's mm. helping um, it's 
patients to be more literate around surgical experiences because how could how could you be otherwise if you're not an expert in surgery it's very difficult to become one quickly yeah. and uh, our, our chief medical officer dr mario leva says the only thing that concerns a surgeon more than a complication is having a well-informed patient sitting in his office with reasonable demands that gets surgeons sitting up straight and that's Ultimately, that's what we're trying to create is well-informed patients with reasonable demands. Interesting. I mean, just to reiterate, you just said 76% of patients after surgery typically uh, use an opioid versus going through the goldfinch process or using that, uh, what'd you call it, E-R-A-C? E-R-A-S. E-R-A-S, E-R-A-S. That sort of protocol, only 20%, right? So 76 to 20%. Are using opioids after surgery. That's a dramatic change. That's right. Um, I understand that you're involved in an, an initiative in uh, Texas where you're located um, called the One Billion Pill Pledge. I wonder if you could sort of tell me how that came about and, and what you're trying to do there. Yeah, the, the opioid crisis has received a lot of news coverage for good reason. It is a, 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 a huge issue, a public health issue. Prior to COVID, I was I was saying it is perhaps the largest public health issue of our time. Now it might be second, <laughs> although it's going to certainly extend you know, hopefully beyond, beyond COVID, but it's a huge issue. And there's been a lot of work that's been done in the area to, to try to help, uh, help us all get through this as a society and help individuals get through it. We think that much of that work is focused on the issues after addiction has been created, persistent use has been and helping people to find, uh, you know, overdose treatment, naloxone more readily or yeah. counseling more readily. And just to, 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 uh, to try to, to help on that end of things, we think there's a need for solutions in turning off the spigot to begin with. Um, yeah. Surgery is the number one gateway to persistent opioid use. And uh, it turns out there's, there's something like 3.3 billion leftover pills from surgery each year in the United States. So surgery and opioid use, it's not only a a problem for the patient, it's a problem for the wider family and community around those patients because of the opioids that are being dispensed. So back to the question about around the the billion pill pledge, we think that if we can get wider adoption of these clinically validated enhanced recovery after surgery care pathways and more thoughtful prescribing of opioids postoperatively, rather than writing a script for 60 hydrocodone acetaminophen, write it for 10. Um, and if it turns out this is the patient who needed all 10 and they need a refill, well, that can be addressed. But most patients don't need all 60. And, and many, like I just said, don't need any at all. Um, and, and there's a huge problem being created. So we think combination of wider adoption of enhanced recovery after surgery, thoughtful prescribing practices over five years could lead to 1 billion fewer pills in our homes and communities uh, in Texas. So we are, we're launching that program. It's a pledge that can be signed by healthcare providers uh, adopting these care pathways and committing to them can be signed by patients or would be patients uh, to, to ask um, and and be informed about uh, these types of opportunities out there that you don't have to uh, assume that an opioid based pain management regimen is the standard. There are other ways. And also importantly, the healthcare decision makers, employers and insurers to sign on to this also. Interesting. You know, you, you've, you touched on this when you mentioned COVID kind of overshadowing the opioid uh, crisis, which, like you said, was such a um, 
a big news item in uh, 2019 and coming into uh, the coronavirus. Since you're in the industry, what do you see as some of the negative downstream effects of our shifting focus uh, away from the opioid crisis by necessity? What's coming in 2021? Yeah, unfortunately, there's a there's a wave of problems um, coming, and we we can already see it. Um, mm-hmm. Overdoses are up. Uh, there's a there's a bigger epidemic, if you will, that's um, it's kind of a shadow epidemic to COVID that all of us are are facing, which is this um, it's the the mental health aspect of isolation uh, and such a dramatic change to our lives has been brought about. By COVID, and for certain individuals, that is accentuating a problem related to opioid use, uh, and it's already been seen um, pretty widely across the United States that uh, that abuse and overdose is up. And I I don't think that uh, that tide unfortunately is going to turn anytime soon. Um, so we've got a huge issue, and uh, we think that uh, limiting the number of opioids that are being introduced into that into that wave is the timing couldn't be better. Yeah. I mean, you've sort of touched on this uh, tangentially, but you mentioned the word literacy. We've kind of talked about patient literacy, understanding their surgery options, employer literacy, understanding the saved days if they really think about their employees' health in a new way. Um, But what about uh, surgeon literacy? What what about uh, provider literacy? Kind of where do you see that playing into this picture? Well, the, the, the big thing, we have a lot of conversations about that, right? The, the surgical providers, surgeons, anesthesiologists, and teams, they're, they're key stakeholders to the uh, program that we're delivering. Um, they're not a paying customer of ours, but obviously a really important partner of ours in delivering um, more as a standard of care, the enhanced recovery after surgery experience. So what we find is, of course, there's, a, there's about 5% of the surgeons out there who are well-informed about enhanced recovery recovery after surgery, they've seen it as the, the right thing to do, the best way to practice, and they've adopted it on their own. In fact, there's even two uh, enhanced recovery-based professional societies out there, Enhanced Recovery After Surgery Society and also the American Society for Enhanced Recovery. So there are forums for these leading physicians to get together and, and get very in the weeds about what's working and better and, and best in these protocols. There's a huge sort of middle. There's an 80% middle of the the physician population who's heard of this, but hasn't quite gotten around to it yet. Um, so the literacy piece to, to them, really, if you will, is when somebody asks them the first time um, about enhanced recovery after surgery, and th- those are often the patients that we're supporting, patient asks a question about uh, changes to their preoperative nutrition or multimodal analgesia prior to surgery, or some other aspect that's commonly part of enhanced recovery protocols. It gets an, a, an interesting response from physicians because nobody's ever asked them before. They've never had a patient knowledgeable um, or somebody calling on their behalf, which we often do with the patient's permission to ask about it. And so that sets in motion um, some motivation that we think has been lacking. Uh, that uh, Now there's an external force here, the patient who, who's knowing and asking about this. And then when you layer on top of that a, an employer or insurer who, who is now saying, I know about this. Um, this better way through surgery surgeon and I'd like my members, my employees to get it. That totally changes the the picture. Um, the last piece to this is there is this last, this last 10% or so of physicians who um, aren't as ready 
to change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we have a conversation with folks, I think the assumption is to immediately jump to that group and say, well, what are you going to do about that group? Uh, yeah. And, you know, fact of the matter is some of them may not be willing to change. We've had people tell us, as you could, you could imagine, that, uh, you know, they're not, they're not changing. They've been practicing this way for 30 years and they're not going to change it anytime soon. So if you want a different experience, you need to go to a different surgeon. At least we know then, you know, at least there's trans- some transparency to what you're getting yourself into as a, as a patient uh, and, and also as an employer. And uh, we can see where some of the quality outcomes can be generated. And eventually we expect that some of our clients may just to say, you need to do this or not be part of our network. Um, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not where we're starting. And, and we want everybody on board, um, no matter how reluctant you might be out of the, out of the gate to, to change the way that uh, you're treating the perioperative experience for a patient. But at, at the end of the day, if certain surgeons aren't willing to go there, certain providers aren't willing to go there, um, then we want to, we want the patients to go elsewhere. Yeah, at the end of the day, the, the numbers are going to speak for themselves, and uh, you know it's so important that you're gathering those those data points. Um, last question: When you look towards 2021 um, and you think about your sort of bigger health moonshot, kind of where this is going, fighting against the opioid epidemic, improving surgery for millions of people, kind of what gets you the most excited? Uh, about where Goldfinch Health is moving and kind of where the industry is heading, looking at looking forward. Yeah, the, the thing that kind of our North Star, uh, when we look at the work that we're doing and trying, you know, we're doing the work of, uh, of a young company figuring out where best does our program fit and how does it embed with a human resources department and a benefit structure and, you know, is it perhaps a, an opportunity with disability insurers and workers' compensation and all the health insurers in different ways? So you can get caught up in all those details, but our North Star is the patient outcomes and the patient experience and the patient results. And as long as those are excellent, the rest we're confident will work itself out. And the patient experiences are excellent. We hear from uh, we hear from patients afterwards. We get um, we get not only the um, more quantifiable um, save days metric and opioid use metrics, but then we we often like to interview them, uh, you know, hear more of their their qualitative uh, perspectives on the program and just hearing people talk about how alone they felt or confused they felt having to go into surgery, especially in the year 2020 when you know, faced with, uh, with COVID restrictions on people who can actually go into the facility with you. We're making a big difference in people's lives. And that's what got us excited about this in 2018 when we launched Goldfinch. And we're more excited about it today uh, as we start to see some scale of this and, and helping more and more patients. It's just the, the opportunity to help people find a, uh, an experience. It's not going to be something they talk about year, for years because it was so bad, mm-hmm. uh, very positive experience and then get back to their lives, doing the things they love doing and, and the thing, the things they need to do. I love that combination of uh, high tech and high touch, bringing in that nurse navigator, that personal experience. It's not just a database of doctors you can go to for a different type of surgery. It's actually a whole uh, personal experience uh, that brings you a lot of peace of mind. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, Brand, thank you so much for taking the time to, to update me and Startup Health on what you're working on. More importantly, thank you for really tackling one of the biggest problems in healthcare today not just the opioid epidemic, but um, healthcare literacy, consistency in care. Um, I believe that 
the area you're working in is just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many opportunities within the area of sort of protocol, uh, best in practice, consistency, and uh, you know, seeing that those those best results are available for everyone. So, such important work, and uh, I want to thank you for 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 doing it. So, thanks for taking the time, Brand. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 330 companies, go to startuphealth.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.